Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening. I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and our team exists to strengthen Georgia Baptist churches in the area of discipleship. We've developed three tools just for you. The Watershed Principle, which identifies the six main ministries of the church that must be healthy to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. The Spark Conference. Last year's conference saw over 33,000 views from 45 different states and 18 countries. This year's conference will premiere on August the 12th with best-selling author Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, and David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. We also have learning communities that are set up throughout Georgia, which exist to help you finish the task of leading your family in ministry well. You can see our website to find one near you. Also, every Thursday at 3 p.m., you can catch this broadcast through Facebook, Instagram, or multiple podcast platforms. Now, let's join today's broadcast. Hey, friends, Scott Sullivan here, Discipleship Catalyst at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Thank you for engaging with us today. Just a reminder, our team exists to resource, inspire, and create disciple makers across the globe. Now, uh, we want to give some free stuff away, so make sure that you make a comment on uh, how you're engaging or whatever platform that is. We'd love to hear from you, know who you are, where you're engaging from, and we will draw a name from those who comment. Also, just a reminder, for those of you who give to the cooperative program, the reason we're able to do this is because your church gives to the cooperative program. So big thank you, shout out to all of our churches that are given to CP. And one final note before we get into our discussion is, if this is beneficial to you, if you enjoy, if it's helpful, please make sure that you share it on all of your uh, platforms so we can extend the benefit across the globe. Now, today I'm engaged uh, and we've got two of my great friends and just absolute legends in ministry, Dr. Tim Dowdy. He uh, was the pastor at Eagles Landing Church for three decades, more than that. And he's now the lead strategist for the pastor wellness team here at Georgia Baptist Mission Board. We've also got Dr. Alan Jackson, just one of my mentors, a professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, godfather of student ministry in Louisiana for a long time when he was living down there and currently serving as the pastor at Dunwoody Baptist Church. So, uh, gentlemen, both of you guys have been through significant transitions personally, professionally, and that leads us to today's topic, which is how do we know when it's time to transition to a new role in ministry or a new church? Because several of our, our main thought leaders, a lot of us read uh, statistics and research, are predicting that there's going to be more staff changes, transitions uh, than ever before, whether that's retirement or a new role in the church or simply giving up and quitting altogether. And if that's true, then this topic uh, needs guidance. So thank you for joining us today. And Adam, let me throw a question to you first, and uh, you can kick us off. Tell us just right. a little bit about your background and some transitions that you have experienced in recent years. Well, I, Scott, I believe uh, exactly that we're going to be looking at a lot of transitions. I think a lot of people are tired. A lot of people are going to need a new start. Um, and my new start was about five years ago. Uh, I was, I've only served four churches in my life full time in the 40 plus years in ministry. 
And uh, in 1994, I went to the Baptist Seminary in New Orleans, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to the main campus to be a professor. Ironically, I was the youth pastor at the church that I'm now serving as the senior pastor. And uh, I was able to transition to the seminary where I taught youth and collegiate ministry for about 22 years. In the, that time I was there, I was an interim pastor four times. I was an interim student pastor twice, an interim collegiate pastor, an interim singles pastor. And so I never stopped serving the church. But uh, in 2015, I was called as the senior pastor of the church that I served as a youth pastor, and uh, I came back to Atlanta, and for the last five years, we've been here at uh, Dunwoody. It's, uh, it was challenging. Uh, I came here on the heels of a senior pastor who was beloved, but who had pancreatic cancer. And during my interim uh, time right ahead of becoming the senior pastor, he passed away and uh, we did Mac's funeral in August of 2015. And in September of 2015, they called me to be the senior pastor. And mm -hmm. so my honeymoon was helping the church to grieve, uh, rebuilding the staff, uh, envisioning the infrastructure and who even knew we were going to prepare for a pandemic? Awesome. Quite a transition for sure. Now, Tim, you are not that you've even just been through transition. You are in transition. <clears throat> like you're still Absolutely. trying to transition from three decades local church pastoring to now being in charge of our pastoral wellness team. Yeah, you know, when I think about and do want to say, Scott, thank you for uh, inviting me to be a part of this discussion. I, I do think that because of all we're going through right now, uh, we'll have our normal transitions that take place as far as the number of people that transition in roles and the life of the church. But it will be it probably will be heightened because of just mental, emotional exhaustion guys that have been thinking about this transition for a while. And this has kind of pushed them over the edge to say, Maybe now's the time I need to go ahead and make that. Um, but for me personally, my life has not been um, a lot of transition. I, mean, I was at Eagles Landing for 31 years. Um, uh, Christy and I went there. We were in our 20s, and the church was a mission running 30. And so we just grew up with the church. And But when I, when I reached the 25-year mark, to be honest, and there were opportunities to leave along the way, and I prayed through all those and never felt God leading but when it hit the 25 years, I started thinking maybe I didn't want to be one of those guys that stayed too long. And so I began praying, God, just give me some wisdom each year. Um, and about two years before this transition happened, I really began feeling God was um, burdening my heart with it, with the thought that the church needed a new voice. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know if it meant that I needed to bring somebody on our staff and then begin train them and then five years or so pass the baton, or if it meant, hey, I needed to move on, didn't really know. I just kept praying about that, kept sharing that with my wife, pray with me through that, just keep praying. When this opportunity came up, you know, my first response was absolutely not. You know, I'm not, I'm not making that change. Um, and, but I've been, you know, pretty consistent in just saying when an opportunity comes, I would pray, I would give it a, a season of prayer. So I think one of the keys is just not making a rush decision. 
or an emotional decision. And sometimes circumstances, other things factor in and we make those kinds of emotional decisions and then have to back up. And so I committed to prayer. And then through that, I just prayed, God, if you want me to do this, you just really have to move my heart because 31 years in one place, this is our family. You know, this is not just a church that I pastor, a role that I serve in. These people, we've grown up with them. They are dear to us and still dear to us. <clears throat> and God did just that, though. He, he moved my heart to ministry for pastors and their families. Now, when I transitioned in January of last year, I didn't realize that, you know, in about seven weeks, uh, we're going to hit a pandemic. And this new area called pastor wellness was going to be at a really great need uh, as we hit this pandemic. And so this last year has been nothing but constant transition and change, um, something I'm certainly not used to, but uh, God's been faithful to see us through. That's really cool, Tim. And it's, it's neat to be able to look on the backside of that decision and see how God's hand was working along uh. the way. Uh, so let's go to a second question here. And, uh, and Tim gave a little bit of, of uh, information here, but he may have some more to say. But Alan, let me let me throw this to you. What are two or three things that just as you think about as a leader, that that, that person that whether it's a pastor, you know, um, could even be a parent that they can do to prepare for this unknown future? Right. Because I remember, Alan, uh, when I transitioned after 20 plus years of student ministry, I remember a moment sitting on the sidelines of a Friday night football game, watching the game, having prayed with the team when you could still pray with the team before they run out. And I remember standing there thinking, I don't like this anymore. Like it was I, I, it was a moment. I just remember thinking, I don't enjoy Friday night football. I, I want to go home, you know. So what are some things that we can do to prepare? Well, I, I really appreciate what Tim said about the default position staying rather than going. Mm -hmm. That uh, the default is to say, let's not make a move. Uh, let's not uh, try to go away. Let's try to uh, plan on staying as long as we, uh, so, so that it's not the challenges or the storms that alert us to the possibility of something new, but more like what you said, Scott, that your your spirit just changed. And mm. I think there's a difference between what you did and saying that you just didn't uh, have the same uh, love, the same calling. It's not that you love students less, but I remember getting off a, a bus after a youth camp going, I'm really, really tired. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I, I wonder if there's a different type of ministry. My calling wasn't less, my passion wasn't less, but, uh, I, I didn't so much have a vision for the future of that as I had, uh, uh, dreams about some other possibilities. And so Tim, I, I appreciate that you say the default is to stay. The default yeah. is to say, let me get past this challenge. Let me get over this hurdle but uh, when we do have a sense that our, our core uh, application of our calling is changing, um, I never thought I would be a senior pastor. Hmm. I don't know that I ever thought I'd be a seminary professor when I first started doing youth ministry um, back when, before boy bands were even a thing. So, <laughs> you know, it's it, to, to know that it's time to leave is, is a whole different discussion for me and 
quite frankly, in classes, we had a bunch of it. Tim, I, I'm sure you had conversations with your team uh, when they've come to you and said, I, I wonder if it's time to go. Mm. And to uh, allow them to explore that calling is is just a mark of maturity for a pastor. And I've always appreciated that about you because I've heard from some of your staff. But the, uh, the timing of the move... Um, Perry Sanders, a legendary pastor back in uh, yeah. Louisiana, he used to say that it's time to move when your oughtness changes. I just ought to be doing something else. <laughs> yeah. I ought to be somewhere else. And, and it's, um, it's a feeling deep in. Once you move, Tim, in here, I would say first tip would be to say, when you before, during and after such a move, surround yourself with wise leaders, business leaders, community leaders, uh, people from other churches, people who have made a similar move. Uh, when Scott and I talked about his move from Louisiana to Georgia, I had made a move from Louisiana to Georgia not too long before that. And we had some really productive discussions. And Tim, I don't know who you talk to when you're getting ready to wind up 31 years at a place, but that would be my, my first thought. Anybody? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I really appreciate that. I think um, seeking wise counsel in the midst of that godly counsel is good because, you know, our circumstances can produce an unsettled soul, but we're trying to, we really having a difficult time reading what God's saying to us and what he wants to do with us. And so, Sometimes he, God himself unsettles our soul so that we will listen and move. And then sometimes circumstances just get the best of us and we're worn down and we need a break and catch our breath and go on. And so what I found is a lot of the guys that I talked to during that searching time um, were guys that had walked through that, like Bright Wright. Bright Wright was a great friend during this. He had just gone through this kind of thing and, um, he, he gave me a lot of time to just ramble from my own heart and then give me some insight and, and, and just confirm some things in my own heart and then cleared up some things that I was confused on just by having a conversation. So I, I, I think it's a great idea. I like that you said the word read. <clears throat> um, we, we have so much information. And, of course, you you know got to chew the meat and spit out the fat, but there's <laughs> still a – a sense of there are people who are writing articles from a lot of different perspectives. And then once you do get into a new place, your temptation is to, uh, to stop reading, to stop studying, to stop, uh, you're, you're running around meeting people and you're making plans and you're scheduling meetings and you're zooming with leaders and, and that God didn't call you to that. God always calls you to a, a sense of study because you're first a, a minister. You're called apart to do uh, the work. And so we, one of the things I did early on in my time at uh, the church I'm serving now was to say, hey, there's going to be a study today. And it happens to be Wednesday. You know, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday to release on Thursday, but I'm not dressed up today because I don't go in the office on Wednesday mornings. I, I make sure that the, the sermon coming up is in good shape as far as outlining and maybe read some journals, maybe uh, read some. 
but but I'm I try to be in an unhurried place where I'm just reading because that's the way he refreshes us and prepares us for uh, the place where we are and and perhaps even the next place. Yeah. I had one more, Scott, and would kind of love to have some thought. Um, Tim, love your response. I would suggest that in a new place, you plan 100 days at a time. Um, work your way into planning longer range, but in the early days of COVID, things were changing so quickly. We would meet and mm. make plans and 48 hours later, we would tear up those plans and make different plans. And 48 hours later, we would tear up those plans and make different plans. And who's doing what? And what are the statistics? And what are the numbers? And COVID sort of exacerbated what it, what it is to try to lead a, a ministry. But whether you're a pastor or a student pastor or a worship leader, a children's pastor, whatever you're, you're called, you are... Uh, coordinating uh, people and uh, experiences. And uh, at least early on, as you learn the culture, as you learn the lay of the land, about 100 days at a time is, is probably a good window. Hmm. Solid yeah. advice. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about that question about how you prepare for um, an uncertain future, um, one thing is just to remember in some regard, the future is always uncertain for us. <laughs> we don't control what happens today or tomorrow or the next day. And, and, and sometimes I think we get comfortable in a routine and we think we can predict the future and we just get settled in that. So I think every day, there, I think there are a couple of things. One, to me, I love to hear Alan's thoughts on this, but is even as you're feeling a little unsettled, is to stay focused on the present ministry. If you just live focused in the future, like what, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if I do this? What if it just paralyzes you? You end up not doing anything where you are and you, you cease to be faithful where God has put you for now. And so staying focused to me on the present uh, is, is critically important. And then staying immersed in God's word, because they're, you know, our mind is a battleground and um, you know, they're all kind of thoughts that'll, coming and half of them aren't true aren't right aren't correct aren't <laughs> biblical um you know you think after studying god's word for your almost your entire lifetime that your mind would not absorb unhealthy thoughts but man i don't know about y'all's but mine still i still have to battle that and so oh, yeah saturating myself with god's word even in a in even in a more intense way during those seasons of unsettledness has been helpful for me. And then, you know, like Alan said earlier, I think just getting some good godly counsel in the midst of that just kind of helps you prepare for that. Um, that um, those things seem to be the best help for me uh, personally. Um, you had a counseling center at Eagles Landing, didn't you? Yes. Yes, we do. And you specialize. I, I've referred lots of people. We, we have to get over the stigma as pastors that we're somehow damaged if we go to see uh, a counselor. There's something incredibly freeing about uh, somebody who's bound by law <laughs> to be able to tell anything you tell them. And, and there's no church member that's like that. Uh, no. your, your best friends, your accountability partners, 
uh, the, the, if you if you take advantage of some of these, uh, and, and Eagles Landing had one of the best ones, and there's several up on the north side as well, but uh, down on the south side of Atlanta, that's that's definitely where people went just to hear another voice to sort of give perspective. And I really appreciated that ministry down there. Yeah, well, and and you're so right. And I think sometimes as as pastors. We feel like, you know, God is our counselor. The Holy Spirit's our counselor. We shouldn't need a counselor. And we kind of think it's not spiritual to seek counsel, even in that kind of a formal way. But it really is good because you're right. You know, sometimes I think pastors make the mistake, and it is because you we need counsel, is we'll lean on a church member. And they're not equipped for that, mm-hmm. for you to unload on them. Um, and... Um, it may makes it really difficult for them to move forward um, and for you uh, as well. So it's great to have. Um, well, I, I hope that youth pastors and worship pastors and children's pastors, I hope they all trust their senior pastor, mm, but even yeah. the senior pastor is not the person you go to. Uh, very few senior pastors are, are really equipped to unpack deeper issues and quite honestly, senior pastors are, are probably more trying to just solve it. Let me just, let me get this off your plate. Let me, let me tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's not an approach that's, that's helpful on a deeper level. And so even uh, maybe even more specifically, pastors who are not the, the senior pastor would, would find somebody to go to to get perspective on their environment, their culture. Yeah. Well, you're so right. That's exactly right. And I know it's true for me, even as a senior pastor, I, I, I didn't consider myself a trained counselor. You know, I'm kind of the hee-haw counselor. If you say, it hurts when I do this, I'll say, don't do that. You That's know? right. Um, Buy low, and, sell high. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great to have that to lean on. Right. Uh, we, ha- we have a new trend that's about to start. Hashtag hee-haw counselor. that's us well you guys mentioned something here let me transition to a new question because you talked about preparing and i remember um, a friend of mine brent crow mentioned something he said the future belongs to the prepared and alan you actually echoed that uh one time when when we were talking about one of those transition because you really have you've been one of those guys that as i was thinking this morning you've been one of those three guys that I've called every time I made a major ministry transition. And you said, keep putting yourself in a position to be used as well. So in that line of thought of preparing, uh, let's don't take up, we're not gonna take a lot of time, but I think it's important that we talk here. Just where does seminary school, seminary, uh, theological uh, training, where does that fit into this equation? Because I remember a moment sitting in a a dream session, actually was with Jay Strack talking about what the next 10 years are going to look like and what do you got to do to prepare for that? And getting my doctorate was one of the things that came out of that. And it did, it prepared me, my, my mind and heart exploded in my doctoral work. So guys get, take, take 60 seconds here. And just where, where does that kind of training fit for a leader who's thinking about transitions? Unless uh, Tim, let me, let me throw this to you and then we'll bounce to Alan. I mean, listen, I'm not an expert on that, but I would say this, that, um, you know, I remember Ron Herod was one of, I went to New Orleans and went to um, Kenner and, and, uh, you know, I was 22 years old. Ron kind of took me under his wing. And, and there was, I remember early in my seminary, I was like, oh, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in class all the time. I want to be out there in ministry. And, 
you know, he just said over and over again, stay focused, more time sharpening the ax, less time cutting wood, just keep at it, you know? And, uh, and that was great advice. He said, God brought you here to focus on that. So, so do it. And then I went back and got my D men just because I think if you're called to ministry, um, as you're called to ministry, you, you've got to be an everyday learner. Yeah. It's one of the most exciting things in life is learning. And, uh, so I think it's big. It doesn't, it doesn't open doors for you to me. It, it helps build them though. I mean, it, it, it helps build the house that so the door can't open and God can direct your steps. Um, and um, so I, I think it's, I think it's helpful. And it may, maybe sometimes in your unsettledness, it's because you've just gotten stale and you've stopped learning. And maybe the step is not to go somewhere else, not to change those things around you. It's just to change what's in you. You just need to maybe invest really? in some, some other learning. Really cool. Alan. I'm a big fan of theological learning, obviously, but uh, I, I would, I would want to speak to younger people who are watching this. Uh, Tim has spoken, I, I think so wisely to those who maybe are feeling a little stale that to go back and get a certificate or get a degree or enroll in a program or take a class, just learning for the sake of learning. But as we think about our preparation for ministry, I, I think there's kind of a life stage attitude with this. And I think college is the place to learn how to critically think. It's I, I, I love Bible colleges. We have some of the best uh, anywhere here in the state of Georgia. Uh, but at the same time, I, I love a, a, an undergrad preparation with liberal arts and math and science and history and culture and sociology and anthropology and and to see all of those through a biblical worldview in the graduate level you're you're in your mid-20s you're you're kind of at a place where you're trying to prepare specifically for something and maybe that's the time to think about theological education at a seminary or or something and I realize that it's so easy to go online you have more speakers. It's intimidating, Tim, for us as pastors, because all of our people listen to five other pastors during the week, and then they compare us to them when we preach on Sundays. And, and so online education, podcasting, that's so easy to do, but it doesn't get you a cup of coffee with a professor. Mm -hmm. it doesn't get you uh, time late at night in a library with some other students who are journeying the same place you are because screens kind of teach us to isolate rather than to integrate. And I, I love uh, going to a place or being in a program or a live class of some kind. And it's different than it used to be. I don't think I would specialize anymore, Tim. I, I, I spent my whole life teaching youth ministers but academia has crunched down degrees to a whole lot less hours. Uh, Scott, you're on the tail end of the generation that spent 60, 70, 80, 100 hours getting a master's degree. And now those degrees are 30 and 40 hours. So I think to stay general, but to be around people, it's that it's that cup of coffee. It's that that road trip. It's that. Uh, that after-class dialogue that's so much a part of the curriculum. When I had students in my home in New Orleans, uh, I feel like I learned more from them uh, than they could ever learn from me, but that shared experience was as much a part of 
of theological education as any content that we go over. That is so good. I wish I could sit here with you guys all day because I have a whole platform of notes here that I'm taking based on what you're saying. Let me give you one more question because we do need to close this out. What can a local church do to prepare members or staff for a future? Even if that means they're not going to be at that church, if they're going to, because that, that whole kingdom mindset is huge. So um, Alan, let me just go back to you here and then we'll close out. I'll just do bullets and let Tim comment on them. Uh, I, I think as a senior pastor, I should give all of my staff opportunity. They need to preach. Uh, I need to hear from them. I meet with them once a month just to, and the lead question is always, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in three years? Where do you see yourself in a year? How can I help you get there? And uh, sometimes that means preaching. Sometimes that means handing off a a task assignment or to uh, uh, be point on the disaster relief team if they feel like they're have a missionary bent. But, but for us to hear each other about where we're going to go and help them get there. Secondly, we should pay for it. Uh, no matter how small the church, my master's degree was paid for by the Pine Lake Baptist Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And the church never ran more than 200 people. But at last count, they'd paid for about 40 seminary educations. And there was just something they believed in. And I've carried that into every church I've been in. And we, we pay for seminary education. You know, we pay for tuition for students, and lay people and pastors who mm -hmm. might go to a degree program uh, out of our church. Um, shared experience, I think, is, is a big one, but to, to not be threatened by the fact that uh, maybe the, the future is somewhere else, although it grieves us as pastors, we hate looking for staff. Yeah. But uh, Tim, throw it to you. No, that, that, <clears throat> that's really good. I, I think, you know, from the pastor's perspective, I think giving your staff the freedom to talk to you about their journey, where God's taking them, what God's doing in them, um, is very healthy ongoing discussion to have um and you need to be trustworthy in that that you that they feel like they can do that and can talk through things with you um as you can give them some counsel and direction as well and be a prayer partner for them in the midst of it and that's that's invaluable um I, our church did the same thing we paid for seminary education for staff members and and people that were called to ministry i think um I don't, I don't, I may get this number wrong, but I think in our 31 years, we, it was like 70 or 80 guys came out of our church going into ministry. And when they would go to seminary, we would pay for their tuition to try to help them prepare for what God was calling them to. Um, and, and that was helpful. I think one thing with the church in preparing for the future is just reminding them that and I, and I said this over and over again to myself and to our staff and to our church. This, this isn't my church. You know, we started with 30. Yeah, I've been the only pastor, but this is God's church. And I don't, I don't own this place. You don't own this place. God, this is God's people. This is God's church. And he will take it. He will be the constant here. And uh, while the future um, can change at the drop of a hat, we've learned that this year. Um, just constantly preparing them. Listen, God's in control. God's sovereignty is our security. We can trust in him. He will, he will take care of his church and he will take care of us and use us. We just follow him. Um, you know, one of the things I, I remember in uh, 
when Jesus healed um, the blind man, it says right after that, that he followed Jesus when he had his eyes and he could see, he just followed Jesus. Mm. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a great picture of what we all need to do. Um, Sometimes we can't see the future because we're blind to it. We, you know, we just, um, it's uncertain. We need to come to Jesus. And then when he opens our eyes and shows us the next step, man, we need to follow him, whatever that looks like. Absolutely. Man, so good, guys. Hey, thank you for being on here with us. Thank you for sharing insights, wisdom based on what you've learned and what you're seeing. And uh, those of you who have engaged with us, I hope you will take notes. I hope you will watch and re-watch this because the truth is you're either coming out of a transition, you're in a transition, or it's about to hit you in the face. (laughs) So you need to know the nuggets that have just been thrown out. We close that with this thought. Transitions are a natural part of our life. Mm. I want us to embrace the transition and not to fear that. I remember what Calvin Phelps told me, Alan, when I called him about coming to Georgia potential. And he said in that big God, deep, booming voice, he said, son, the reward of a job well done is a bigger job to do. (laughs) And I just remember thinking, just sitting there when he said that thinking, you know, uh, because I was I was grieving leaving a church where I'd been 16 years. I mean, like Tim said, that was family, literally biological family, but also, you know, people you'd grown with. Here's a second thought. The greatest spiritual growth that I've experienced as a leader always was a result of transition in my life. It was painful, but it was worth it. So friends, thank you. Thank you so much for engaging Dr. Alan Jackson, Dr. Tim Dowdy. You guys are awesome. We'll get you back on another day, discuss another topic. Uh, PJ Dunn, thank you for producing for us today. And if this was a benefit to you, make sure you share it. Make sure you leave a comment so you can get in drawing for some free swag that we're going to be giving away. And my prayer is, as it always is, that you will stay faithful in your pursuit of being a disciple that makes world impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening to Georgia Baptist Discipleship Podcast. And we want to give you a gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can get this by going to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. That's ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist that may surprise you. It will help you learn why programs are killing your discipleship, the number one default worker strategy that keeps churches from empowering their ministries. Learn the OGV factor and how it can revolutionize discipleship, attendance, and evangelism in your church. Again, go to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptist to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And by the way, if you found this content helpful, we sure hope you'll share it with a friend. And thanks so much for partnering with us to make world-impacting disciple-makers.